Hey everybody, Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor here. Got to tell you something, I'm pretty stoked today because I get to talk to one of my good, good friends who I've actually been able to help out, Mr. Carson Daly. Thanks Hello. for coming to the show, dude. I'm so excited Thanks. to have you here. It's dude, such I'm, a I'm great- excited to be here. Well, you know, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's a lot of fun, it's interesting, and you have some really interesting sleep-related experiences that I think you can share with our audience. Um, before we hop right in, I want to give a little, I, I know everybody knows you, but I'm going to give a little bit of background on you anyway, because I just think it's kind of fun and cool. So Carson actually, um, is been many people know him as a VJ from MTV's total request live. He was also many people might not know. He was a late night DJ, um, when he first started out, I believe that was on KROQ. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I did the KROQ in Los Angeles, the world famous K-Rock shout out. Great, uh, alternative rock station. Absolutely. And and you started out in the evenings, if if memory serves, right? You weren't you in like the six to ten slot? That's yep, that's exactly right. The drive home slot. I was in my young twenties. I'm from LA. It was like being a music freak. It was literally my dream job. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And then MTV called and all of a sudden, whammo, you became a D a VJ, not a DJ. Tell us a little bit about that. I was um, you know, again, like twenty three years old working at K Rock in LA, coming off being literally broke. I made $25,000 a year when I was 22, I think the year before, and I lived in the Bay Area. Oh my I had lived in six cities in six years, living out of a pickup truck. I lived in a Motel 6 in San Diego, and I worked there, and I did the overnight shift. So I had had a very tumultuous uh, start to my career, but landing in LA at K-Rock was so huge for me. And I was like, well, this is it. I'll just die here. This is great. There are hard <laughs> jobs to get. And sure enough, in my inbox was a note from a manager who managed MTV VJs and said, um, I, there's an opening at MTV and I met with them and it was like, what you want to pay me like 10 times the money to <laughs> talk to bands and just do what I do on radio, but do it on TV. I was like, where do I sign? And I moved to New York and the rest was history. Absolutely. And so what's interesting is, is you also were kind of in the later night universe, right? Because you also eventually ended up having a last call with Carson Daly, right? Yeah. The late night show. So after MTV, I kind of maxed out there and was getting old and it was creepy me introducing, you know, 17 year old uh, pop stars. So I uh, kind of segued to late night at NBC and got a time slot there at 135 in the morning, even though we didn't shoot at 135 in the morning. It was a late night, late night show. And when I had did you that, shoot for, that just out of curiosity. I shot that, you know, we started last call uh, at 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York on 8H, which is the famous studio That's where they Saturday shoot Night Saturday. Live, right? That's Saturday Night Live. So Lauren Michaels was nice enough to like let us squat. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, we shot multiple shows each day. Uh, and then we were out Wednesday night. But we were pretty day and date, meaning um, I could talk about something pretty topical and we would turn the shows around for like the next week. God, what a what an iconic stage. Um, that, that was you, great. I, it was so funny. I was actually in that building very early in my career. I was interviewing uh, with somebody to uh, do some television and I took a wrong turn and I literally walked right into it. And it was one of those things where you just stop and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, <laughs> how did I get here? And just, yeah. I just took it in. I mean, just the history and the comedy and just everything that went on there. It's so, so interesting that you got a chance to do that. So you're kind of the late night guy. I mean, you do, you do, uh, Times Square, <laughs> right? Yep. New Year's Eve, you have yep. late night shows. I mean, you're yep. late night all over the place. And then all of the sudden the voice comes around and i think yeah. aren't you one of the executive producers of that as well 
I am. I was, yeah, I was one of the very early people on. Um, this was at a time when American Idol was like the big right. Mac Daddy juggernaut show on television. Um, uh, so much so that Fox was coming to the market with their singing competition show, which was a format in Europe. And NBC was kind of like, all right, I guess we're going to get in this space of this reality competition, singing competition. And there was a format that we found in Holland that was beating both American Idol and um, X Factor. And so we kind of rushed it to, to, you know, to get it on air. And we got, you know, our, we had um, coaches, not judges. Our angle was, you know, family friendly. We don't want to make fun of people singing. Like, right, no, you know, I did with William Hung and we, it wasn't comedy or fodder. And we took music serious and we got Christina Aguilera, the best voice of our generation. And oh, Adam easily. Levine and CeeLo and a young guy named Blake Shelton for the country genre <laughs> that we had never heard of. I'll, ironically, he's probably the biggest star of the show. Right. <laughs> and we've been lucky. Yeah. Like the show just, um, it worked and it was an immediate hit. And we are in our 19th season now. We're on two times a year and nobody thought we'd last this long. And four Emmys later, the show still resonates with Americans who are, you know, just infatuated with watching really good singing talent on TV. But what did that do for you? Because you were doing that and the Today Show roughly at the same time or no it was it's like a two years after no the it voice? was the same it was oh, rough. The same it, so there was there was a time a long time which is really kind of where your and i's relationship come in exactly where i was doing i also was doing radio like right. um i did more a morning radio show from 6 a.m to 10 a.m in los angeles on a top 40 station and then i would do the late night show in the afternoon and then i would go shoot the voice so there was a couple of year period where i was really burning it at all ends and I say that because it started around 09, which my son was born that year. It was a tough year uh, with the economy. Right. And like many of you that don't come from money or, you know, aren't a Kardashian and don't have a, you know, um, a golden goose egg somewhere, I <laughs> operate historically out of fear because I don't didn't have any money and my parents couldn't give me any money. So I, I've always worked. And so um, I've always had a lot of jobs because in our business, if the work is still there, you just, you do it. So I was, I had a lot of balls in the air uh, for a while and probably too much. So it ended up um, really just becoming a lot for me. So I started to shed some of these jobs and just, uh, I've been lucky that the voice in the today show have still hung around. Yeah. Well, no, well, so first of all, you do a great job on both of them. I mean, it, oh, thank you. everybody enjoys your, your commentary and your personality and things like that. You know, for everybody out there, we, we met on set um, actually during sleep week, I think it was three years ago or something like that. Yep. Um, and it was, it was a really interesting moment because I have lots of times where I'm on media with lots of very famous people all the time. And, um, this was very interesting because you actually walked over to me. I remember it very distinctly and, um, we, we were not on camera and you said, you've got kids and I've got kids. What do you think about kids sleep and how important is that? And we started to have a discussion about children and parenting and kids and that whole thing. And it was in that moment that, you know, we were just two dads talking about our kids and really caring about their health. And we formed a bond and a friendship. And we uh, we kind of started emailing and talking. And then I came back again and you pulled me aside again and you were like, I feel like I'm kind of dragging a little bit. You know, like I, I'm not. Oh, I don't know. That might that might have been my reaction to you're coming up to me and going, "You look like crap." Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I appreciated your candor because you know, people in my position, like nobody ever tells you in like your your circle, like no one's ever really honest with you. And right. 
that really stuck out to me. And you said it much more diplomatically than that. But it did spark <laughs> I did. the conversation. I was like, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I really don't feel 100%. Right. Um, I'm, I'm like living on an airplane. I fly like a million miles a year back and forth across the country every week. And so, you know, you really, and you can take this conversation where you want it to go. But what I'm really thankful for you and for people listening, I never equated sleep into the, into the sort of totality of someone's global health. I never factored it in. It, to me, it, sleep was just about being tired. Um, it didn't cross over into weight gain, which has been an issue for me, or my anxiety issues that I've talked a lot about on today's show. And you really helped me understand that sort of at the core of it all, not only is it directly linked, it could very well be at the core of everything. And that's where our relationship began. Yeah. And, and it's been, you know, and so first of all, I love your courage. I love the fact that, you know, people know who Carson Daly is like you, you yeah. let it out there because at the end of the day, there's so many people who have similar issues and you're, you know, definitely the tip of that spear, you know, teaching people it's okay to have these issues. It's okay to talk about them. It's okay to work with them. But yeah. more importantly, you recognize that guess what? Sleep is a core factor. <laughs> to just Yeah. I didn't know that till you though. I really didn't know that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I hope, I hope people are, are, are interested because this was, it was a fascinating kind of uh, set of events. So what we, one of the things we discovered about you was that you actually ended up having a sleep disorder. Do you feel comfortable telling people a little bit about that? Oh, uh, let, let me not stop now. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, look like my whole thing now, you know, is, you know, I've started this digital platform on NBC news called mind matters. I'm talking a lot about mental health and wellness uh, it's funny that this is sort of my path of my professional career has led me down to the many people feel like they know me. Mm -hmm. Nobody really wants my autograph, but they, I've been on TV for like 20 years. I've grown up with a lot of people and they feel like they know me and I'm a bit of a, maybe let's say trusted source. Mm -hmm. And so I've, uh, you know, I'm an, op I am an open book in that regard. I, I don't, I mean, I'm married with kids and I love my life and, and I'm not ashamed to say that I've had this anxiety disorder and panic for a long time that I've, I've sought through cognitive therapy and, and, and then meeting with you, I've tackled this sleep disorder that is definitely centrally linked to other areas of my overall wellness. And these are all conversations and things that I think, especially in the pandemic, people are looking for. And I was one of them, A, suffering in silence on the anxiety front. And then on this front, just feeling like crap, you know, having cravings and like eating like crap, sleeping like crap. And it's like an old country song where I was just kind of getting sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And I really didn't know how to get out of it. We focus so much on exercise and diet, which are huge, important factors. But sleep, don't sleep on sleep. Like once you got me squared away with the sleep apnea, um, things started to definitely write itself. Yeah. And what was interesting was, is many people would never have even suspected that you had sleep apnea, right? Because sleep apnea, a lot of people think of sleep apnea as a bigger person's disease. And in fact, you're not a bigger person. You're, you know, you're a reasonable weight, reasonable height. And guess what? You had humongous tonsils and you had all kinds of anatomy that all of a sudden we learned, guess what? Um, this guy's got sleep apnea for folks who yeah. don't remember sleep apnea is a situation where you stop breathing in your sleep at night. And, um, Carson actually had that. And now he's been, uh, using his treatment. Uh, do you want to give any, everybody a little bit of that experience, um, and what that was like and how you kind of adopted that into your family? Yeah, it's, it's a little weird, but like, I was so, you know, it was important to me to try and write this. When I saw the numbers, when we did the test, um, they were pretty staggering. Like I had no idea, you know, an apnea literally meaning, you know, sort of stopping breathing. And I, you know, I want to say that, you know, hundreds of times a night, yep. uh, you know, I was having these events that are 
you know, I, I, I was concerning to say the least. I definitely wasn't getting, even if I was asleep, it wasn't good sleep. And so uh, I wanted to address that. And anyway, so yeah, we got hooked up with a CPAP machine, yep. um, which takes, honestly, the truth is it takes at least a month. Like it takes time to get used to the mask, to breathing through your nose. You're literally changing breathing habits that you've done since you first took your first breath of life. Um, if you have a partner, it's an issue for them. The machine does make a little bit of noise. It's a thing, like yeah, it's a thing, absolutely. but it's a worthwhile thing. And once, you know, eight weeks and there were times where I was frustrated and, you know, you get an app on your phone and it gives you a score and, you know, these things typically for probably, you know, a large percentage of us who would go down this path, probably, I would imagine over 60% of people who go, who, who do this probably stop. It's yep. very similar to a new year's resolution, right? You make it. But your gym membership after March, you're like, what gym? Um, and and I think it's probably the same with this. Now I've stuck with it. I I sleep in my mask, and there there was there's been some periods where I've gotten away from it for travel purposes. But then I got a travel CPAP. But I'm in my mask every night, and um and it's helped greatly. It has, and I mean, I also would love if you if you feel comfortable saying how yeah. you feel like the sleep has helped your anxiety. Because I feel like that's also been something. I feel like you're less likely to have anxiety and less likely to have panic when you're well slept. Is that something that you've experienced as well? I think that's fair to say. And I think it's fair to say on two fronts. I think physiologically, it's great because you are getting better sleep. Right. And, it, and sleep, if you look at it at the epicenter of your wellness, you almost don't do anything else well unless you're rested. That sounds silly, but everything fluctuates off your sleep. So your eating habits, like your what you crave, you know, you mentioned this to me, you were like, you know, as far as just even like the extra 10 pounds here or there, it's like, right. well, you crave the salty foods and the, and the sugary foods, you know, right. like, I need to pick me up at four o'clock every day. Cause I'm so freaking tired. I'm eating like a little candy bar, a little chocolate. That's because you're, that's, it all sort of goes back to the point of origin of not having good sleep. So exactly in the mental health side, it's similar. It's if you're not, if, if you're not putting your best physical foot forward, then you really have a hard time kind of, at least for me, um, when, you know, moments of panic or anxiety or these heightened levels of, um, anxiousness arise, you're just better suited to deal with them. And mm. the other prong of that is breathing. Um, mm. for me, the breathing that I do when I start to feel a little nervous, a little hopped up, a little fight or flight, I feel my anxious mm -hmm. side kind of kicking in when I take uh, a second to do some breathing exercises or, or however I choose to handle it, um, the sleep stuff that I've done really plays a great role. And I breathe a lot better. Um, even <laughs> if you work out and you, you breathe in through your nose and exhale through your mouth, like right. I, we're all mouth breathers and don't, I mean, a lot of us are. Right. Um, and now I feel the relationship between kind of like from wearing the CPAP mask, I feel more, um, I don't know how to say it, but the circulatory nature of my breathing mm -hmm. is just re more relaxing. Yeah, uh, it's it's less That's in perfect. and out, which is like a hyperventilating. Right. You know, like a lot of people just breathe kind of like, right. you know, just through your mouth, and that that can almost create panic. Uh, to oh, me, yeah. absolutely. Um, I, I think what and, you're talking about is this rhythm of breathing that yeah. you've gotten from sleeping at night with the CPAP, and then it's also being able to use that breathing because a lot of people with anxiety breathing when it gets too rapid that's a sign of anxiety right and so it, is. it sounds like you're becoming more comfortable with your breath and that's allowing you to relax and be more comfortable with you Would that's, that, be a safe that is 100 true yeah that's totally safe 100 so, so here's another one that i saw out in the news about you uh not that long yeah. ago was that you had had a sleep divorce 
that, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and yeah. I wanted to talk with people about that and, and let people know what that is. That's not a real divorce. You are very devoted no. to your wife and your children. You yes, I am. Me? I know you are, dude. Tell us a little bit about what you called a sleep divorce and sort of what went on with that. So sleep divorce is a real thing. I think we covered it on the Today Show you and did. it was kind of a, um, a tongue in cheek sort of laughing segment. But it, it, and I, I was like, listen, I've been sleep divorced for like a year now. This is when I met you and I was experimenting with the CPAP machine. Uh, and then a couple of times, you know, um, it led to my wife. You know, if I didn't sleep at the machine, I would be snoring and that would drive her crazy. Uh, if I was on the machine, if I wasn't wearing it correct, air would be making more noise than it should be. That would be distracting. She was also pregnant uh, for nine months. So this has been, you know, almost two years ago now. Um, so there was a lot of factors that basically led us to uh, we were remodeling in our house. So we were out of our master bedroom, mm -hmm. uh, living in a like a small queen size bed. Not that queen size beds are small, but. I'm six, two, and my wife's actually pretty big too. So for us, and she was pregnant, right. it just led to us sleeping apart. And, um, it meant we, we love each other. It wasn't, um, yeah. you know, any, for any other reason, but, and then what happens is once you spend one or two nights apart, um, I'll just let you know now for those of you that are sleep divorced or in the beginning of it or thinking about doing it. And again, it's no knock on your relationship. What happens is an overwhelming feel, feel, feeling of guilt actually comes in <laughs> because you actually enjoy it. Right. Um, it's and like, if you're married oh, it's so young, good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like you're not having sex anyway. So it's right. like aside from that factor, um, you're like, wow, this is actually nice. This is the same way if you travel for business and you don't want to tell your significant other that you're getting good night's sleep. Imagine that feeling, but in your house. Right. Um, <laughs> we're, we're not sleep divorced anymore, but there was a period where we were and, and, and it was healthy. And we spoke about it and talked about it and we laughed about it that we both slept better that way. Well, and I, and I love the, and the reason that I brought that up wasn't to say that it was something bad, but to say that it was something so good that you recognized yeah. a period of time in your life and you're like, holy cow, we sleep better apart for this one yep. particular period of time while she's pregnant, while I'm getting used to CPAP and now we're back together again right. and we understand each other's sleep and now we've got a much better sort of situation going on. So I 100%. love that. All right. Well, it's last... funny because it comes off the old idea of like, you know, parents, like my parents, like slept in different bedrooms. My dad, you know, sort of permanently slept on the couch. My mom had the bedroom and that's just born out of the idea. They've been married for 40 years and you know, whatever, whatever. When you're a young couple, you feel like sleeping apart is a sign of going separate ways, but it's not, it doesn't have to be that. No, Again, going back to the theory that sleep at the epicenter of wellness, whether it's relationships, anxiety, weight, all of them. It's amazing how many things in your life orbit around the idea of proper sleep and sometimes proper sleep is a part. Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, so last question, you just had, well, not just, but back in March, child number four, and yeah. um, we were talking about sleep training just before we hopped on here. Let's talk about that. I mean, you're going through sleep training right now. Um, you've been through sleep training with your other three kids. How's it going? What kind of things do you like to do? Have you made any interesting modifications? Who's a good sleeper in your house? So the, my, I have an 11 year old boy who was a, who was a very good sleeper. We don't, and then I have a six and eight year old girls and they're, they were both pretty good. We adopted basically the cry it out method mm -hmm. modified because we wouldn't let, you know, the Ferber method, as you mentioned, you know, it, you know, for some people can be a little tough. Right. Um, their numbers are like 15 minutes or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, we, so we, we historically have been very lucky with our kids. Uh, they haven't been colicky. They haven't been big criers. It's been a struggle to get them in a sleep pattern, but we've been successful with the other three. With Goldie, 
it, the latest one who's six months old now, our, right. our lovely COVID child, um, it's been tough. It's been, she's been really, she just doesn't want, she's just not a good sleeper, like not like the other kids. And so, you know, as, as other parents know, it's easy for me, what I've ex- found out during the, I blame my wife who I'm always saying like, when the baby's up at one o'clock and two o'clock and three o'clock crying, I'm, and I tell Siri, I'm like, just stop, like turn off the monitor, take the right. batteries out, put earplugs in. You know, she's fed, you know, she's safe, exactly. not going anywhere. Let her cry it out. You know, it's so easy to say that at four o'clock at night, when you're drinking a cocktail with your wife, making dinner, going, honey, just let it go. Right. But what happens is at 1am I wake up, and I hear this baby crying and my heart, Dr. Boot, it starts to break in a thousand pieces. I know. And I'm like, I'm the, I'm the first one in there getting the baby <laughs> like, what's wrong? Are you okay? Daddy's here. I mean, I'm not, but like, um, you know, one of us is, so it's been hard. Uh, I give my wife all the credit in the world because she, um, you know, I get up also like 5am mm-hmm. and I have the ability to sleep through pretty much anything. And, um, and she really is the, the sleep cop in the middle of the night. And then she gets really, really tired and wakes has to get up and she's got three other kids. She's got to get clothed and bathed and lunch is made and right. off to school. And we're driving now and some are in hybrid and some are in school. And meanwhile, I'm in the city on the today show. So she, Siri's really a saint and a superwoman for what she does, but I'm all ears. If you have any just tips, because it, we ha- she hasn't gotten locked into us to a, a sleep schedule yet. And let me also throw this out. We are in California. We're by coastal and that throws off everything. The minute we get a sleep pattern, all of a sudden, when it's, you know, eight o'clock in the East Coast, it's five o'clock out West, and we don't know what to do with the baby or the kids. Right. So it's complicated when you're bi-coastal, um, and it's also complicated when you've had three kids that were pretty easy to work with, and now all of a sudden there's this one kid, and you start to question yourself, like, oh my gosh, is there something wrong with this child? Oh my gosh, is there something wrong with our parenting? Things like that. So yeah. one of the first things I always ask parents, and so I'll ask you, is when uh, Gold- when Goldie starts crying, if you pick her up or bring her into bed with you, does she fall asleep immediately or does she continue to cry and have, uh, you know, kind of- well, That's around? a great question. I, I think, you know, more times than not, um, Siri will go in there like she'll sleep for a chunk, you know, we'll put her to bed at seven or eight o'clock and we're successful for about four hours. And then for the following six hours is when this intermittent waking up is happening. So she will go back. Siri will go in, not feed her because that's the main thing we're trying to right. sever. Right. Um, and, but we'll, we'll let her know that she's, she's safe and rub her head and right. then she'll leave and then she'll start to cry and she will fall back asleep. But then that happens exactly an hour later or exactly 90 minutes later. And the pattern of that stretching it out until right. it's like an alarm know, clock. Eventually going you cave. Right. Yeah. Every hour. So let me ask but you a couple more questions. She does fall back asleep. Okay. So that's very good that she falls back asleep on her own and that you don't have to actually bring her into your bed with you to get her to fall asleep. So right. one thing that a lot of parents out there may not know is the easiest way to tell if it's a physical problem or a behavioral problem is if the child comes into your bed and is able to fall asleep, it's almost always behavioral. If the child comes into your bed or you pick the child up and you can't calm them down and they won't fall asleep, then we're worried about things like colic. We're worried about things like upset stomachs. I mean, there's a whole host of uh, things we would go down that path. Doesn't sound like that's an issue for you um, at all. Next question would be, what are you feeding her just before bed? So she's still breastfeeding only. Oh, actually, we did introduce foods in the last like three weeks 
just um, you know, like your normal sweet potatoes right, right, right. and bananas and, and rice cereal and stuff like that. But back to your other point, whenever we do bring in our room, she does not fall back asleep, which I'm glad to hear that might be a sign that's not behavioral. Right. So uh, the thing that I would consider doing is add that um, rice to her breast milk as her last bottle at night and give her a little bit more substance um, in yeah. what she's eating just before bed. A lot of children, they burn through the breast milk because it's it just flies through their system. Um, yeah. And um, so they need a little bit more to it. So a lot of times we add a little of that cereal. Um, it's it's like a flaky, powdery, ricey yeah. thing. You know that? Yeah. It, just dump you put it in milk. the bottle. Yeah, uh-huh. put it in the bottle with the breast milk. Swish it around so that it dissolves. So it, it just thickens it a little bit. We yeah. have seen that you have to. You might have to poke a little bit bigger hole in the nipple so that way the yeah. the cereal will come through. But what's great about it is it fills the baby's tummy up, and then they just whoosh. And they're done and they kind of just go into it. That so would one, be amazing. So one of the things it could be. So let's try that for the next couple of nights. Uh, and then you and I will get back on together, <laughs> not on the podcast, um, and we'll figure it all out. So so we've done a we've done an interview with Carson Daly. We're doing That's a, a great tip. Thank a consult <laughs> um, as well. So everybody gets to hear live. Um, we're, we're doing yes. some consulting here on the Sleep Success podcast. Um, and then the other thing that I think would be uh, worthwhile to note about the situation with Goldie is it's very positive that she is able to fall back asleep. Um, and so for parents out there who have children that just cry, 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 remember the Ferber method is not supposed to go past about 15 minutes. So you really don't want to allow a child to cry uh, for long periods of time uh, because it just becomes very uh, traumatic for the child themselves, especially based on the age. Goldie is uh, six months, right? Born in March? Yeah. Yeah. And she threw up once, you know, from crying. We didn't let it go longer than 15 minutes, but she worked herself up so much that she threw up. And that's that's like a deal breaker for a parent. Because once Absolutely. that happens, you're like, oh, you're God, done. I, we can't let that happen again. Right. Absolutely. So limiting it to 10 to 15 minutes is really, you know, a best scenario. The only other piece of advice that I would give you when you walk in and she's crying, if you can try not to actually physically touch her. Um, there's there's something about the physical touch that seems to be incredibly calming for children, which is great, but we want the child to be able to calm themselves, um, and self soothe. And so that's always the goal that we're reaching for. Makes sense. Uh, We'll do both of those things in a matter of hours. Fantastic. All right. And we will be reporting back on how things are going at Carson's house, but I just wanted to say, thanks, man. I, I, I so appreciate you, your openness, You've always been one of these people who've been very interested in education and learning more about themselves and just, dude, you're a good guy. I mean, I just appreciate you and I, I love the fact Likewise. that you're happy to talk about your sleep. I'm happy to talk about it and I, and, I, and I also thank you for bringing a lot of these sleep issues to light and people, I hope, you know, can really... Um, I hope it becomes more of a health trend, you know, that it really does. It seems to me that it's really at the epicenter of so many uh, health and wellness, which is such a popular vertical in people's lives right now, but they, people need to examine their sleep. So I hope people find your podcast and start listening to it regularly because, you know, it's a, it's a great, great source of center for health. Well, thank you for saying so. If folks want to learn more about some of the mental health stuff that you were talking about earlier, where can they go online to maybe participate or learn more? Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I just started this digital series at NBC News. You can go to NBCNews.com and find it. It's called Mind Matters. And it's just, uh, you know, kind of longer form conversations with, with you know, great everyday people like so many of us who are uh, struggling and we're just sharing our conversations and really trying to just show the humanity of mental health and really live under the mantra that it's okay to not be okay and uh, breaking some stigmas and, and um, 
and just know that there's people that are there to listen and support you. So yeah, that's out there. But thank you for mentioning that. Of course, of course, you know, I support all of the things that you're doing. And I just want to say thanks to everybody out there. Thanks again to Carson Daly for sharing with us all of his issues between insomnia, anxiety, apnea, new dad. And guess what? He's a, he's a total stud and he's been on television for no. 20 years and we love him. We've grown up with him. I, I mean, he's like my brother. It's like my brother. I want to go have a beer. <laughs> With. like that's how i think of him all the time so thank you thank you i'm thank ready you. yeah dude well all well right. we're in, when you're in cali let's do it i'll let you know for sure i appreciate it you bet thanks again all right carson daly turns out to be one of the most interesting people in such a regular authentic guy kind of way um, you know, as as everybody learned, we met on set and I've been helping him with several different issues that in regard to his sleep. And he's he's just so open and honest about everything that's going on in his life. And, and he does feel like a brother to me. Um, I watched him growing up on television and I like the fact that he's so open to new ideas, new thoughts and just figuring out, you know, what it is um, to deal with life. I mean, he really did start out in the late night universe and now he's this awesome, responsible dad with four kids, wife, he'd buy coastal executive producer of the voice. Like the guy is crushing it. And he's learned that sleep turns out to be an incredibly important part for him. So I, I don't, there aren't any more takeaways other than what a great interview. What a great guy. I'm so excited that he's been able to find some relief in the areas that he was so desperately looking for. And we continue to work together. I'm going to help him with um, his new baby sleep, uh, it sounds like, in just a little while. So with that, I want to say thank you once again to Carson Daly for an amazing interview and so many different ways. And now it's on to the mailbag, Hugo in Southern California. And Hugo said, I read a study that said that if you sleep less than six hours a night, it could maybe considerably cause dementia. I'd like to know if that's true, Dr. Bruce. Okay, so I went and discovered which study he was talking about. There's been a study that was recently released. Uh, let's see, ba -ba -ba -ba, right here. So this, I, I saw this study uh, on October 8th, so actually just uh, last week. And it looks at people with insomnia in particular and how much sleep do they really get. So interestingly, adults who reported insomnia but who slept six hours or more in a sleep lab were not at risk for cognitive impairment when compared to good sleepers. Uh, the research team accounted for potential differences in socioeconomic factors, including age, sex, race, ethnicity, years of education, and the presence of physical and mental health problems, including sleep apnea. Um, the study turned out to be incredibly important because it's the first large U.S. study uh, associating insomnia and cognitive risk. So one of the things that we need to know is if you do have insomnia, but you sleep more than six hours, you're probably okay. But if you've got insomnia and you sleep less than six hours, it may be time to talk with your doctor just a little bit more. The second question I got uh, was from Alan and Orlando. And Alan wrote that he was also having problems with insomnia, but was now considering using cannabis. Alan reported to us that he's 80 years old and he was concerned about being a senior and trying cannabis and wanted to learn a little bit more about was anybody else his age trying cannabis for better sleep. 
So uh, on, I looked around, and in the Journal of American Geriatrics Society on October 7th, they d- published a study that found that 568 patients were surveyed. 15% had used cannabis within the last three years, with half of those reporting that it regularly used it for medicinal purposes. When they dug down in, they found that 61% of the patients who used cannabis had initiated use after the age of 60. Uh, as quoted from Kevin Yang, the uh, co- co-author, he said, surprisingly, we found that nearly three-fifths of cannabis users reported using cannabis for the first time as older adults. These individuals were a unique group compared to those who used cannabis in the past. So are, is it okay? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Um, here's what we can say is if you're interested in using cannabis as a senior, number one, you're not alone. Number two, slow go it. What do I mean by that? You want to start at very, very low dosages of THC to see how it affects you. In addition, you should absolutely positively talk with your doctor to make sure that the cannabis is not interacting with any other potential medications that you might be taking. As seniors, we have a tendency to have more medical issues going on. And with more medical issues comes more medication and of course comes more interactions. So are there more seniors using cannabis and experimenting with cannabis for sleep? There are, uh, at least according to this study at, from UC San Diego. Um, but remember, we want to use caution when using cannabis, especially in our senior population. Um, but again, it's probably a solution worth looking into. The final uh, question that I got was from, uh, as a matter of fact, it was from Lauren in Wisconsin wrote, I'm a mom. I've been stuck at home for COVID. I feel like I've got more anxiety and more insomnia than ever before. Are moms like me having as many problems or is it just me? All right, Lauren. Well, here's the good news is uh, I found a study that said that, you know what? It's not just you. So let's see. In There was a study that was done. Let me see. Where was it done? Ah, it was done. University of Negev in Israel. And in the study, they addressed first time for the first time consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic and home confinement on maternal anxiety, that's mother's anxiety, insomnia, as well as reports of sleep problems among children between six and 72 months old. So itty bitty, teeny tiny kids. And this study was published in the Journal of Sleep Research. The results indicated that maternal clinical insomnia, that's mom's insomnia, during covid more than doubled to 23% during the pandemic, compared with only 11% before the pandemic. And approximately 80% of mothers also reported mild to high levels uh, of uh, current COVID-19 anxiety. So there's plenty of people out there that are reporting even more anxiety. Our researchers also found that 30% of mothers reported a negative change in their child's sleep quality and a decrease in sleep duration. But the majority of mothers reported no change in their child's sleep quality, duration, and arrangement, and their perception of their child's sleep as problematic. So the good news here is is that it looks like it's only moms, not as much kids, but let's be fair, children are definitely being affected by this. Um, So what is a uh, chronically insomniac mom to do? 
Well, as you know, I'm always a big fan of learning your chronotype and sleeping within your chronotypical bedtime. If you are experiencing significant insomnia, um, you're welcome to try my Sleep Doctor PM. Uh, many of you know I created a supplement line called Sleep Doctor PM that has been very, very effective for many people here um, in uh, Southern California and across the globe, uh, as well as uh, you may want to consider talking with your doctor. Um, if anxiety has really kind of ramped up, there might be some other solutions, cognitive behavioral therapy, medications, things like that. But it's definitely worth having a discussion with your doctor because everybody is definitely a little bit more anxious and we have the data now to prove it. So thanks again for everybody. This has been an amazing episode of Sleep Success with Dr. Michael Bruce. If you think that you know somebody who would be a great guest, whether they're a sleep researcher or a sleep disorder sufferer, uh, or just somebody that's really super interesting, do me a favor, send me an email at drbreus at thesleepdoctor.com. And who knows, maybe I'll be bringing your guest on my show. Also, if you have a question, same email, D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. I'm here to answer all of your questions, whatever they may be. This is Dr. Michael Bruce, The Sleep Doctor, wishing you sweet dreams. <laughs>